Come have a seat in the scald circle, and hear the tale of the giant stairs, as told by Casimir. On the road between Passage and Cork, there's an old mansion called Ronane's Court. It may be easily known from the stack of chimneys and the gable ends which are to be seen. Look at it which way you will. Here it was that Maurice Ronane and his wife Margaret Gold kept house, and as may be learned to this day from the great old chimney piece, on which is carved their arms, they were a mighty worthy couple, and had but one son who was called Philip, after no less a person than the king of Spain. Immediately on his smelling the cold air of this world, the child sneezed, which was naturally taken as a good sign of his having a clear head, and the subsequent rapidity of his learning was truly amazing, for on the very first day a primer was put into his hands, he tore out the ABC page and destroyed it as a thing quite beneath his notice. No wonder, then, that both father and mother were proud of their heir, who gave such indisputable proofs of genius, or as they called it in that part of the world, genus. One morning, however, Master Phil, who was just then seven years old, was missing, and no one could tell what had become of him. Servants were sent in all directions to seek him, on horseback and on foot, but they returned without any tidings of the boy whose disappearance altogether was most unaccountable. A large reward was offered, but it produced them no intelligence, and the years rolled away without Mr. and Mrs. Ronane having obtained any satisfactory account of the fate of their lost child. There lived at this time near Carligan one Robert Kelly, a blacksmith by trade. He was what is termed a handyman, and his abilities were held in much estimation by the lads and lasts of the neighbourhood for independent of shoeing horses which he did to great perfection and making plough irons, he interpreted the dreams for the young woman, sung Arthur O'Bradley at their weddings, and was so good-natured a fellow at christening that he was gossip of half the country round. Now, it happened that Robin had a dream himself, and young Philip Ronane appeared to him in it. At the dead hour of the night, Robin thought he saw the boy mounted upon a beautiful white horse, and that he told him how he was made a page to the giant Mahone MacMahon, who had carried him off and who held his court in the hard heart of the rock. Seven years my time of service are clean out, Robin, said he, and if you release me this night I will be making of you forever after. Yet I will be the making of you forever after. And how will I know, said Robin, cunning enough, even in his sleep, but this is all a dream. Take that, said the boy, for a token and at the word the white horse struck out one of its hind legs and gave poor Robin such a kick in the forehead that thinking he was a dead man, he roared as loud as he could after his brains and woke up. Calling a thousand murders, he found himself in bed, but he had a mark of the blow, the regular print of a horseshoe upon his forehead, as red as blood, and Robin Kelly, who had never before found himself puzzled the dream of another person, did not know what to think of his own. Robin was well acquainted with the giant stairs, as, indeed, who is not that knows of the harbour? They consist of giant masses of rock, which, piled one above the other, rise like a flight of stairs from the very deep water against the bald cliffs of Carrigmahon. Nor are they badly suited for stairs for those who have legs of a sufficient length to stride over a moderate-sized house, or to enable them to clear the space of a mile in a hop, step, and a jump. Both these feats the giant MacMahon was said to have performed in the days of Finian glory, and the common tradition of the country placed his dwelling within the cliff up whose side the stairs led. 
Such was the impression which the dream made on Robin, that he determined to put its truth to the test. It occurred to him, however, before setting out on his venture, that a plough iron may be no bad companion, as from experience he knew that it was an excellent knockdown argument, having on more occasions than one settled a little disagreement very quietly. So, putting one on his shoulder, off he marched in the cool of the evening through Glonathok to Monkstown. Here an old gossip of his, Tom Clancy by name, lived, who, on hearing Robin's dream, promised him the use of his skiff, and moreover, offered to assist in rowing to the giant stairs. After supper, which was of the best, they embarked. It was a beautiful still night, and the little boat glided swiftly along. The regular dips of the oars, the distant song of the sailor, and sometimes the voice of a belated traveller at the ferry of Caragallo. Alone broke the quietness of the land and sea and sky. The tide was in their favour, and a few minutes Robin and his gossip rested on their oars, under the dark shadow of the giant's stairs. Robin looked anxiously for the entrance to the giant's palace, which, it was said, may be found by anyone seeking it at midnight, but no such entrance could he see. His impatience had hurried him there before that time, and after waiting a considerable space in the state of suspense, not to be described, Robin, with pure vexation, could not help exclaiming to his companion, "'Tis a pair of fools we are, Tom Clancy, for coming here all at the strength of a dream.' "'And whose doing is it?' said Tom, but your own. At the moment he spoke, they perceived a faint glimmering of lights to proceed from the cliff, which gradually increased until a porch big enough for a king's palace unfolded itself almost on a level with the water. They pulled the skiff towards the opening, and Robin Kelly, seizing his plough iron, boldly entered with a strong hand and a stout heart. Wild and strange was that entrance, the whole of which appeared formed of grim and grotesque faces, blending so strangely each with the other that it was impossible to define any. The chin of one formed the nose of another, what appeared to be a fixed and stem eye, if dwelt upon, changed to a gaping mouth and the lines of a lofty forehead grew into a majestic and flowing beard. The more Robin allowed himself to contemplate the forms around him, the more terrific they became, and the stony expressions of this crowd of faces assumed a savage ferocity, as his imagination converted feature after feature into a different shape and character. Losing the twilight in which these indefinite forms were visible, he advanced through the dark and devious passage whilst a deep and rumbling noise sounded as if the rock was about to close upon him and swallow him up alive forever. Now, indeed, poor Robin felt afraid. Robin, Robin, said he, if you are a fool for coming here now, what in the name of fortune are you? But, as before, he had scarcely spoken when he saw a small light twinkling through the darkness of the distance. Like a star in the midnight sky, to retreat was out of the question, for so many turnings and windings were in the passage that he considered he had but little chance of making his way back. He, therefore, proceeded towards the bit of light and came at last into a spacious chamber, from the roof of which hung the solitary lamp that guided him. Emerging from such a profound gloom, the single lamp afforded Robin abundant light to discover several gigantic figures seated round a massive stone table as if in serious deliberation, but no word disturbed the breathless silence which prevailed. 
At the head of this table sat Mahon McMahon himself, whose majestic beard had taken root and in the course of ages grown into the stone slab. He was the first to perceive Robin, instantly standing up, drew his long beard from out of the huge piece of rock in such haste, and with so sudden a jerk, that it was shattered into a thousand pieces. Who seek you? he demanded in a voice of thunder. I come, answered Robin, with as much boldness as he could put on, for his heart was almost fainting within him. I come, he said, to claim Philip Ronane, whose time of service is out this night. And who sent you here? said the giant. "'Twas of my own accord I came, said Robin. Then you must single him out from among my pages, said the giant. And if you fix on the wrong one, your life is forfeit. Follow me. He led Robin into a hall of vast extent and fined with lights, along each side of which were rows of beautiful children. All appeared seven years old and none beyond that age, dressed in green and everyone exactly dressed alike. Here, said Mahone, you are free to take Philip Ronane, if you will, but remember, I give you but one choice. Robin was sadly perplexed, for there were hundreds upon hundreds of children, and he had no very clear recollection of the boy he sought. But he walked along the hall by the side of Mahone, as if nothing were the matter, although his great iron dress clanked fearfully at every step sounding louder than Robin's own sledge battering on his anvil. They had nearly reached the end without speaking when Robin, seeing that the only means he had was to make friends with the giant, he determined to try what effect a few soft words might have. "'Tis a fine, wholesome appearance the poor children carry,' remarked Robin. "'Although they have been here so long, shut out of the fresh air and the blessed light of heaven, tis tenderly your honour must have reared them.' Aye, said the giant, that is true for you, so give me your hand, for you are, I believe, a very honest fellow for a blacksmith. Robin at the first look did not so much like the huge size of the hand, and therefore presented his plough-iron, which the giant seizing twisted in his grasp round and round again, as if it had been a potato stalk. On seeing this all the children set up a shout of laughter. In the midst of their mirth, Robin thought he heard and his name called out, and all ear and eye he put his hand on the boy who he fancied had spoken, crying out at the same time, Let me live or die for it, but this is young Phil Ronane. It is Philip Ronane, happy Philip Ronane, said his young companions, and in an instant the hall became dark. Crashing noises were heard and all was in strange confusion but Robin held fast his prize and found himself lying in the grey dawn of the morning at the head of the giant's stairs with the boy clasped in his arms. Robin had plenty of gossips to spread the story of his wonderful adventure. Passage, Monkstown, Kerrigaline, the whole barony of Kerry Curry, wrung with it. Are you quite sure, Robin, it is young Phil Ronane you have brought back with you? Was the regular question. Although the boy had been seven years away, his appearance now was just the same as on the day he had went missing. He had neither grown taller nor older in look, and he spoke of things which had happened before he was carried off, as if one awakened from sleep, or as if they had occurred yesterday. Am I sure? Well, that's a queer question, was Robin's reply. 
seeing the boy has the blue eyes of the mother and the foxy hair of the father, to say nothing of the purty wart on the right side of his nose. However, Robin Kelly may have been questioned. The worthy couple of the Ronanes' court doubted not that he was the liver of their child from the power of the giant McMahon, and the reward they bestowed on him equaled their gratitude. Philip Ronane lived to be an old man, and he was remarkable to the day of his death for his skills in working brass and iron, which it was believed he had learned during his seven years' apprenticeship to the giant Mahone McMahone. And that is the tale of the giant stairs. Thank you for listening to our story. If you enjoyed it, please consider taking a look at our Patreon page and learn how you can earn great rewards while also supporting us. A special thank you to Kat for the support this month. It means the world to us. Once again, thank you for listening to our story.